Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Good afternoon. Hello out there. The camera kind of reinforces being in the limelight because there's a limelight right in front of me, a green beam. In the next breath, Hakuin says that we naturally seek the truth but we look for it out there, not right here, right now. We're like one who in the midst of water cries and thirsts so imploringly. I was so glad that the tea came. <laughs> it's really nice. Uh, but we, we, we demand, you know, we beg, we, we were craving this truth. We can't help but crave the truth, the truth of life just as water is life. Seeking it far away, what a pity. So, of course, the message is to look within for the truth, to turn the light around and shine it within to illuminate the self. But this is still just an idea. How do we do it? Our work at session is to cut through the layers of resistance, our rigidity, our thick barriers we fabricated out of our ideas about who we are. So we want to tackle it, solve this problem, dust off the old calculating machine, adding machine, and figure things out. Desperation, imploring thirst, but there's no figuring it out using our conceptions, interpretations. That's our habitual MO. So not figuring it out. In our schemes tied up with memories not only do we want to figure it out, we want to get away from pain, move toward pleasure, always looking for something else, having it my way. I want it to be perfect, better, different, not painful. There's no making reality different with my imagination, hiding and figuring, no figuring it out. Not in session, we can't figure it out. We simply do it together. Everyone collaborating to create this space, follow through with our intention and dedication. Everyone contributes. so much to be organized and orchestrated. We take for granted what is involved in that. And we'll, tomorrow we'll have Daibasatsu Day ceremony. It's very intricate. It's, it's a celebration. And uh, all of the other uh, ceremonies, the commemorations, and all, all of, uh, all that we go through is, is planned out. It's 
It's made possible by our working together. I'll speak louder. Corin, thank you. Um, what goes into the meals, into the teachings, into just serving tea, uh, so much happens and we do it together. In session, we're so fortunate that everything is already prepared and ordered so that there's no need to make choices to deliberate or discuss. The structure of session is set in place to aid us in our investigating this great matter, to facilitate the stillness and quiet we need. And there's a level of constraint we need to minimize our reactions, our habits of evading, suppressing, making ourselves feel better. You know, it's so interesting to come into silence again and, and you feel that compulsion, that joy to, with other people. You want to express yourself. Some of it's just to make us feel better, right? So what a great teacher it is in session to have this restraint in its structure. It's our habit to run away from our reality. And here at session is a restriction on that ex individualistic expression and helps us to settle down, to center, shed the nonsense. So we sit in the form that we're taught, that many say is essentially Zazen itself. The form, whether you uh, sit in full lotus position, on the cushion, sitting in even Seiza or Burmese, or using a bench or a chair, the form of zazen helps us to get what we need, helps us to get the, the oxygen we need to set our body in the most natural open position, to be physically relaxed, yet pert, alert. We keep our spine erect as we sit in the zendo with a solid base, no matter what position, if you're, even if you're sitting in a chair, we keep our spine erect. Our knees, uh, if we're sitting on a cushion, our knees touch the ground, give us a strong base. If you're sitting in a chair, your feet are flat. The bottom of your spine, your pelvis, centered and strong, supporting your torso, your head, should just push up, push the sky up just a centimeter or two. The neck extended. This naturally allows our abdomens to rest in a natural ready state, to feel fully and comfortably as we breathe in from the bottom of our belly, expanding fully on the in-breath. I heard someone say, um, you know, we have a, a back as well as 
as well as our belly, and we can breathe in through the whole thing. This thing right in the middle. And when we exhale, we exhale slowly and completely. This is a critical part of Zen practice. Not just in breathing and exhaling. You know, it's heard in the moo. Just following all the way through. And the Han, when we hear the Han, the progression, following through. And Samu, when we, we take a, a rag wet from the bucket, squeeze it, follow through. You know, that way you avoid a dripping mess. So you don't, we can be generous that way so people don't trip. And our breath keeps us centered and grounded. And that following through is that just getting it all out. Part of that's the form drop down. We can become conscious of that pull of gravity in the bottom of our body. We can feel our consciousness just dropping down from our head, just relaxing coming down to belly. With this strong intention and a bodily awareness, it's a huge gift. Helps us to recognize and strengthen the hara. Just down from our navel, the hara, the tanden, where this ocean of and vital energy is there. And we come to work with our hara in sitting and in chanting. It's really important. And it really gives us uh, strength, not only uh, endurance, but clarity and, and calmness. So don't look that in the gift horse in the mouth. You know, this is, this is an important part to connect with that, to connect your mind with that uh, part of our body that's so generous to us. So setting up our bodies aligned, relaxed, extending, breathing fully naturally, our eyes relaxed. It has an immense influence on our nervous system and settling a busy brain, allowing our bodies to function helps us to untangle, to simply accept things just as they are. I have 10 after 2, I think it's 10 after 3. So sitting in the manner that we're taught, we're practicing bringing our, uniting our mind and body together. 
in a natural, balanced way. It brings our nervous system into balance and helps us to focus, to feel plugged into a sense of our presence. The real thing, not an idea, right here, right now, this very body, this very place. We let our presence in our body be the certainty for the moment, embodying this moment. So what keeps us going astray further and further in the darkness? But it's funny, you know, this seems like uh, what's really going on, part of looking into what's really going on with that. It's this sense of, erroneous sense of self, or identity of, of harm. Oh, you know having insecurities, having fears that that idea of myself is not really what's, what's, what's good enough, what's going on. So this resistance that comes up and, and building of defenses, you know, with the walls of labels, if you will. We mistake this for reality. And we rely on it attaching our identity to the way that we in, interpret. It reminded me, and I thought of that, of us seeing a pond, not like in the late afternoon, in the sunny haze towards sunset, but a, you know, after a, a rain, spring rain or summer rain, the pond kind of has this turmoil, you know, it's still sifting about and there's twigs and leaves and things floating from the storm and they kind of coagulate, you know. The leaves uh, duckweed and attach the sticks. And you might mistake it for something, you know, if you look at a distance. Oh, is that an alligator? And uh, it's kind of we kind of do this, kind of pasting the pieces of, of this identity. So when we come to see this, certainly pushing it away isn't the answer. After all, we can't get rid of anything. There's nothing that can be thrown away. Where we go. There's no heavenly landfill just waiting for us to throw our emotions into or things we don't like. We don't want to look at it. And we're stuck on this notion of, of separateness. Dare not open our eyes. But the answer is not in resisting. It's in acceptance. Just allowing things to be as they are. Even our ugly fears and shame and resentments and habits. And real pain from real life tragedy. We are human. There's no getting around it. We don't have to be tortured or victimized by it. We don't have to push it away. 
we can accept and love our darkest, most painful memories, mistakes, mindsets. If we care, care like a, a parent for our children, a mother for our children, sometimes we can't even identify what, what it is I don't want to look at, that I feel so uncomfortable. And it's okay. But the kind of patience and gentleness and acceptance that a parent has, when I employ that, it helps me. So instead of, instead of uh, pushing it away or pretending it's not there, the third uh, patriarch, uh, Sosanganchi Zenji, begins faith and mind, which we will hear tomorrow. The great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. Well, fortunately, I'm not like those people that pick and choose. You know, we want, we want enlightenment. We want a room with a private bathroom. We don't want to go to Dokusan. <laughs> I hate having to clean the toilets again. We get stuck on these ideas about things. And it becomes an attitude, a feeling, an attitude. It's very sticky and tricky. There are all kinds of deceptions that we fall into. We all know this. Hakuin said, we transmigrate through the six worlds through the six realms, back and forth, from the hell realm to the heaven realm, everything in between. Trapped because we believe an untruth. We need to rely on our, our heads. Oh, it's so hard to cut through this. It's seemingly hard. It's that off feeling, you know? When you tell a lie, not even a, maybe even a white lie, a little lie, half-truth, doesn't feel right. It's the same. And accepting ourselves. The lie is the self-doubt, the fear. I can't. A person's just a jerk. I'm a jerk. <laughs> Don't believe it. So we've heard it said, you've heard it said, that it's necessary to see our true self, our true nature, is to have great faith, great doubt, and great determination. Determination is, sounds very eye-oriented. Conviction, intention, great vow, great vow. In the monastic daily life, we chant four great vows just about every day. At the uh, end of morning service, breakfast, morning meeting, lunch, during session after Taisho or Dharma talk. It does seem kind of impossible, doesn't it? saving all beings, 
never with our heads can we do that. How can we do it? How can I even say those words? Something that perhaps all of us have gone through, and I know I've had a good bout of it myself, is, you know, when people, I see people come to the Zendo, to the monastery, and begin to do the form, to, to bow, and, and uh, to chant, and there's this self-consciousness, or, or sitting up giving a Dharma talk, self-consciousness about following the form, saying, hi, do I really mean it? Am I pretending? Am I doing this just because someone else is? Because I'd get corrected if I didn't? It wasn't until I truly searched out my heart to recognize the vow within me asking, what is my intention? What is my conviction? What's my vow? And to be conscious of that intention woke up something that was there, that just needed to be unearthed and washed off. It was there all along, not uh, a thing to be concocted or created, something deeply innate. Then to bow, to purify, to chant with all your heart, undeniably sincere, invoking a careful attention and a fresh, aware bodily presence to be available, accountable, willing not to hide. This great faith, of course, doesn't need a lot of explanation. Great faith is, it's not heroic, it's not desperate, but it's a surety of quietness, calm, heart-centered and grounded sense that comes out of body-mind presence that is natural. Great faith is not attaching to mystical ideas or experiences we've had, elevated spiritual experiences. Wonderful. But to make it special is not faith. Not that those experiences aren't delightful and exciting, but getting stuck on the idea of I have had an insight doesn't help. It's, it's now and then, good and bad, me and you, same old, same old nonsense, really. Even mystical experience, and you may have that. We drop that too. Uh, these rings we wear on the left side, and the rakasu, and are not uh, are not badges. We we don't compare. Comparing whenever I'm involved in comparing, it's 
it turns out to be suffering. And it's easy to get caught up in that in, in, with our etiquette, with our form, which is very beautiful and very useful. But uh, the form is wonderful because it teaches us about attention and intention. Some of it is just practical and kind, generous. But if you find yourself comparing, I'm not as good, or why don't they do it the, way, the, the right way? Why don't they hold the sutra book correctly, or bow when they should bow? Don't fall into that trap. It's not faith. I met someone who had done a retreat here, and it was a long time ago. I, I got the impression it was about 25 years ago. And he told me something, actually, that I just did recently, that he was corrected. He was his first time here. He was corrected for crossing in front of the altar. And it was many, many years ago. And he still remembered the woman's name. <laughs> it's not faith when we just adhere to form. Great doubt. Faith, great doubt, great doubt, great doubt. Is possibly just not believing in that lie of who we are, refusing to buy into those redundant assumptions we mold out of our ego-centered thinking. Letting go of having an answer. Questioning. Being willing to let the foundation of the, the, the boulders, you know, you think of these big foundations, these huge rocks. Being willing to let them surrender those. The idea of yourself. Allowing that to, to fall away. No, no. And not that either. But at the same time, an attitude of willingness and the surrender. An open mind. No knowing is not, you know, cocksure. But it's the process of being willing to not push away the difficult things to accept about ourselves, about a situation. But still not knowing. Going through with facing our own, our own blocks, not knowing the outcome, who that will leave us being questioning every beam and block that we've put in place 
in time. Extreme willingness to see it through, regardless of what may come and not knowing it any other way. A surrender, yes, but with a passion of body-mind presence. Great faith and great doubt are like two sides of a coin. Doesn't have to be a coin. They're like two sides of the same thing. There's a certain balancing of the duality of that, of that non-duality. Night begets day. Stealing nothing from the balance of nature. Our vow keeping us straight ahead. They're not three things. Strong triangle, like the legs of a stool, are not unique. They make the stool. It's the basis of our Zazen. In session, we have many opportunities to, to cut off the, uh, that neurotic pattern. Uh, I was thinking about um, how many uh, chances we have in session. Uh, I was thinking about, you know, the use of a bell, right? To listen to a bell being struck and to let, let, yourself just to hear the bell just be consumed with that sound and I thought how many chances do we have during session I tried to count how many bells we have I stopped by morning service <laughs> I think <laughs> so we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chances with just the sound the, the taku clappers um, the uh, the Incan Bond Show, the Rin, uh, everyone is a chance, a chance to, to cut that discursive mind. So we have a lot of opportunities to cut off the habitual patterns of reaching for thought, like reaching for a cigarette. Anyone ever give up smoking? Every little, uh, every little emotional, you know, ruffle I felt, I, I wanted a cigarette, I wanted to grab a cigarette. It was a compulsion, you know, whether it was the, the news coming on, or I, the, somebody looked at me the wrong way, looked at my shoes, or I don't know, I just, just want a cigarette. A lot of chances to, to, uh, to not pick up a cigarette not pick up a thought. So we can use that tool to, to cut through whatever repetitive cloudy clouds are in front and might be wading through whatever fog 
don't have to go on with that line of thinking. Lots of opportunities in session, being quiet, having to sit still, sitting still. so generous. And what we experience when we stop is a little bit of that being free, free from birth and death. A little bit of that shunyata, suchness. No attachment to getting anything or getting away from anything. Hakuin uh, had commentaries on the Heart Sutra that are really delightful. I invite myself and other people to study them. Uh, one line is, Ears as if deaf, eyes as if blind, in the empty sky, in the dead of night, even Shariputra's own eyes don't follow his orders. When we really allow ourselves to just be connected body, mind, drop off. It's not mystical, exotic. It's not a superhero power. It's available right now. I love in the Song of Zazen, uh, Hakuin, so down to earth and delightful, whether singing or dancing, we are the voice of the Dharma. Oh, you know, when you're dancing, when you, when you get over that self-conscious and you're just dancing, that freedom. We chant with all our hearts in here. It's amazing what we do that together. Just listening at that at, uh, Saiza today. Oh, all these hearts. It's just one heart. Just letting go. Just embodying, being available, being generous to one another. And Hakuin says, at this moment, what more need we seek as the truth eternally reveals itself? I'm so bolstered by your enthusiasm that I feel. This is going to be a very fine session, a truly holy day's session.
faith, great doubt, and our great, great vow. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.